that are spoken, God. We ask, Lord, that you would um, put the enemy death tonight, Lord. You have already conquered him, Father, but in our minds, Lord, he has a way of creeping in, distracting us, so I pray, God, we speak to the enemy in Jesus' name, Satan commands you to leave this place. You have no dominion, no authority in this church, in this body, in our minds, and we have the power, we've been given the right to condemn you, and we come against you. Anoint your word tonight, God, let there be freedom in this house tonight, Lord, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. You can all be seated this evening. The lights are fine the way they are, just the stage can be lit up. You can see everybody really well. Um, good evening. How is everyone? Um, again, I've been given the opportunity to, to have the pulpit tonight, and I and I um, am excited about that. I tremble with that. If you've ever spoken, you know that that should be the case, I think, knowing that you want to get the Word of God right. Um, but uh, Chase is actually over in the youth ministry this evening delivering the word to the young people. I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm excited about what he had for them this evening. Um, but I am here, and he is there. And uh, if you are visiting with us this evening, my name is Adam, and I'm the youth pastor, have been for quite a while, and I'm excited to bring the word to New Hope Church this evening. Um, tonight, uh, it, it kind of, you'll kind of see, and I'll let you kind of put pieces together, but ki- kind of piggybacks off of this morning. Didn't know what Pastor was going to be talking about. Um, kind of goes with that. You'll kind of see how and why, but um, I'll let you put that together, I think. At least to me, it did. Um, I, I need your participation. I wasn't going to do this, but how, how many of you um, sometimes, and we all are, do, but how many of you. Um, really struggle with displaying or portraying, depicting, whatever, exhibiting joy. Joy. Having joy. It's supposed to be unspeakable. It's supposed to be something that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. It should be an unshakable joy that is in the depths of our being and our heart, knowing that we're born again knowing that we've been forgiven, um, something that, and I want to I preface my message by saying that happiness and joy are different. Um, happiness kind of comes and goes, but joy can be sustained through anything because joy is established in the depths of your being, of your born-again Christian self, your new creation. There's a joy that sometimes, just a lot of times, it probably can't even be explained. And when people watch you go through, especially hardships and trials, with joy, that is not something that is temporary once you have been convinced and persuaded that Jesus is who he says he was and what he did for you, and you have clung to that promise and you are living for him. There is a joy that is deep that is going on. Happiness is just kind of coming and going. It's the happiness of man. It's, it's kind of dictated by our attitudes, by our moods by different things, and you know, even pastor playing some clips about uh, the end of all things is the happiness of man, and talking about um, humanism and things like that, and I'm supposed to be happy here, but you know, a lot of times, let's face it, we're not, but there should be a joy that is deep, that should sustain you through anything. Whether you're happy or not, you possess joy unspeakable, right? So this should be what the Christian has and 
um, you know, I, I started thinking about a couple of songs like that we used to do, like um, uh, the joy of the Lord is my everyone, right? And you repeat that over and over again. And I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Oh, I, I just told you. So um, we have these we have these songs that we sing. We we talk about joy. Sometimes we get upset when someone says to us, "Cheer up." Um, the joy of the Lord is your strength, and you just want to why you get kind of upset at that sometimes, because it's kind of annoying when somebody is always saying that everything is great and there is no problems and you should have joy all the time. And, and I, I think that's true. But um, so th the question is, what exactly is the joy of the Lord? And I started looking at that, and obviously you, you can look at Nehemiah 8.10, I think, that says that. But, and I'm going to read several scriptures at the end of the service that kind of reminds us of joy. So tonight's kind of a reminder, but it's also, where does this uh, joy come from? What, is, what exactly is it? How do I get it? How do I keep it through these things? Because the joy of the Lord should remain. It should be sustained in your life all the time. There should be a joy that sets you apart that people will say, how in the world are you um, not just surface smiling through this, but there's something going on in the depths of your being that's causing you to have a gladness of heart and a joy as you go through maybe some of, something of the worst situation or circumstance you've ever been through. Yet joy remains. <laughs> Amen? And, some, and, and happiness fluctuates. Joy should not. Um, so really, in, in our generation, a lot of people are living without hope. And I would like to think as a teacher, as someone at your job, as, as a parent, you want to give the people that you are in charge of or that you lead or that you are an example of hope. That there is hope, that there's more, that there's always opportunities and that you should reach your fullest potential and all those types of things. But th there's a lot of people living without any type of hope. There's not a lot of hope being spoken of. Even with the body of Christ, even within the church, there are many walking around with very little joy. So the question is, 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 is it not joy, it's just happiness that's coming and going. It's circumstantial, that is situational and so forth. Because joy should be rooted inside of us. So, and it's, I think it's a question also for... Uh, parents and teachers and, and youth leaders and pastors, these are questions that they ask. How, how, do, how, do I, how do I get people here? And you know that we lift God up and he draws people. It's, it's what the youth ministry we've asked for you, they've asked for years and years. How do we get kids? You know, it's a little different in jobs and education with dollars attached and things like that. How do we get them? How do we keep them? Retention, right? You know, you have families that are Coming here for, for, some show up for a week, you never see them again. Some show up for a week and they start actually attending for a few months and then you never see them again. Some get plugged in for years, maybe decades, then you never see them again. So it's very different, maybe with everybody. But this joy, the retention of joy, uh, how do I get joy? What exactly is it? How do I keep it? So... I think, and like I told you, when I was kind of young in the Lord and, 
and it was exciting, and then you had a few years, and people that really hadn't gone through anything in their lives were trying to cheer all kinds of people who had given their life to Christ up and saying, it's all good, everything is great, it'll work out, and everything's fine, and there was no weight to what they were saying, and it was hard because um, it's something that would just kind of annoy you. Like, why are they so happy all the time? What, why are Because they, they probably haven't gone through a whole lot for their joy to be tested. Is it really a joy that's rooted and grounded in the depths of their being? And it can come out in those situations, and people can ask you, how in the world are you doing this and maintaining this? How, is this, how, how do you have joy through this? So you can kind of see how it was tying to pastors, but, um, and you'll see it maybe a little bit more. So how do I get the joy of the Lord? How do I keep it? You know, you could be having a bad day. I think we've dealt casually a lot um, with the things of God. Therefore, sometimes the joy is stripped out of our lives. Um, but, you know, when I was younger as a Christian, I knew there had to be a foundation based on something more than just trying to be happy or trying to smile on the outside so everybody would think, oh, Christianity's great. That guy's happy all the time. And it was hard work keeping up with that facade, right? So it, there comes a point where everything kind of comes to a head, and then you start going through some things, and you're like, wow, I, I really need to kind of sink my teeth into the gospel, because if I don't, I, I'm going to kind of get brushed away and all of this stuff. Um, but so then I'm going to kind of go to, to, to Nehemiah a little bit, and, and then in Luke, so I'll be going kind of back and forth, show you a couple of things. But um, the nation of Israel kind of had received, obviously, an incredible promise that they would be blessed to be a blessing on the earth, okay? They had received a promise, and when we receive a promise, um, sometimes it, it, we stray away and we lose our confidence in God's faithfulness to bring forth those promises, so we start to play and do different things and whatever, and we kind of lose hope, faith, joy, all these types of things. So uh, they ended up kind of dealing, like I said, very casually with God. They began to walk outside the borders that God had set, and they were taken into captivity really in a foreign nation for 70 years because of dealing with the things of God in a casual manner. So we, we kind of see the people of God returning to the homeland. They attempt to rebuild out of the ruins and the rubble that they had once lost. And then you get to Nehemiah and all the story of rebuilding the wall. And there are many people today in the church who first or once came to Christ and were given a new life. They ended up talking or, or uh, talking about that with everybody, taking up the cross, taking their life, living in a manner, manner that... Um, did not bring honor to God, maybe a few months or years after their conversion. And eventually, we return as captives if we do that. And we don't establish our roots and, and find out the depths, the heights, the breadths, the widths of God and who He really is and who He can be. So we all end up returning to captivity to Israel, and, and these people came back to the house of God and attempted to rebuild the testimony that God had once given them. And that's, that's, that's hard to do, but it's possible through certain things. So now we kind of come to where Ezra and Nehemiah and, and all the Levites were gathered to rebuild the wall. They began to unlock all these different truths of the word of God, hoping to recover what they had lost. If you go to Nehemiah 8, 8 and 9, it says, so they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So now they're understanding finally, oh, this is, why, this is what's going on. This is why we're in this place that we're in, because we dealt casually, dealt lightly with these things. We messed around on the commandments of God. Now we're understanding this. Nehemiah, which is uh, the Tershatha, the leader, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and, and the Levites that taught 
the people said unto the people, This day is the whole is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, don't weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. So they had they had God had sent someone, they were finally opened up to this. This is where we went, went wrong, and it started to kind of be made manifested to them. So if you think about how the people had just endured, now I may now I don't know if anybody in here has endured 70 years of of abandonment, of sorrow, of sadness, of what my life should have been. And now you, we start to creep up in age and we're like, we'll never fulfill what God had for us now. It's just too late. That's depressing. It's depressing to think about. At 35, at 75, it's depressing. It is. And the enemy will convince you that your time is over, that there's not a whole lot more that you can do now. Because you failed and it's, you're done. So you can think about enduring 70 years of sadness, of sorrow. There were families that had been lost, children who didn't survive through all of this. There were um, homes and, and, and even in, the, in that time, families, inheritance, inheritances that were just um, kind of forgotten or, or, or forfeited or foregone. They, they were losing everything. And they were sitting in the presence of God now in Nehemiah 8, 8 and 9. They're back in God's presence as his word was being opened to them. They finally uh, recognized what they had done, and they saw their wrong, and they understood why such captivity and all this tragedy was coming into their lives. And they began to weep. Have you been there? And you, you realize, realize all these things, and it just you, you get kind of overwhelmed, and sometimes you just begin to weep. Have you been there? And you're like, wow, what a, a waste, or... This will never work out, or I, I've wasted this, and now I'm going to have to try to find another calling because, or just kind of live and try to carve out the Christian life the best I can and hopefully still make heaven because certainly God doesn't want to use me now. And they saw their wrong. That's a, that's a key. They saw their wrong. Um, they uh, began to weep. Nehemiah started to say something uh, pretty incredible in Nehemiah 8.10. This is kind of the scripture that it's based on. He says, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions un unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Now, if you start to break this scripture down, it, it was almost like God was telling him to say to these people, it's okay. Stop weeping. Stop feeling sorry for yourselves. You've come to a realization um, of what you have done wrong. Now let's get up and let's move on. In fact, go back and, and eat the fat and, and, and drink the sweet and also send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. In other words, people that don't understand how good and merciful God is, go tell them what the Lord has done for you, that He has forgiven you, and you can take that to the people and tell them where your joy comes from. So... Uh, so Nehemiah 8.10, it continues, it says, For this day is holy unto our Lord, so don't be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, or strength, or strength, whatever you say. He is your strength. Now, do you understand how important and, and um, uplifting that is to know that He is my strength? Because I always thought... The joy of the Lord is, I thought, well, okay, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So, so I would think, well, I need joy. And that joy will be my strength. And then I started to think, well, I started to kind of look at that scripture, and I thought, how is that phrase? The joy of the Lord is my strength. 
In other words, the joy belongs to the Lord, so it's possessive. So you could say it, the Lord's joy is my strength, right? So I don't have joy naturally, okay? So the, joy, the Lord's joy becomes my strength. That's, that's, that's deep, really. So the joy that the, now what is the joy of the Lord? He always tells us to endure the cross, do these things, so that the joy set before you, all these things. And he, he talks about all these things, and I'm thinking, well, I, I want that joy. And if I have the Lord inside of me, I should have that joy. Because the joy is the Lord's, and now it belongs to me, because what is God's? I'm an inheritance of the king. I get those things. Those promises are mine, right? So I should have joy unspeakable in my life. Because he lives inside of me. And he is joy. And by the way, what is his joy? His joy is restoring you. His joy is redeeming you. His joy is forgiving you. His joy is you. You are his joy. I'm his joy. He delights in me. I'm, I may Remember the missionary. May the, uh, the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering as he goes across the Atlantic. We're, you're his reward. That's... That connotation could be, you are his joy. Rewards are joyous. So, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord's joy is our strength. This again encourages me. That I don't have to produce or manufacture a false joy. That, that's, that, my burden is light. I don't have to come up with false joy. So when everybody asks me, what, what, how, I mean, how do you, I, it, out of the abundance of the heart that is sustained by the king, joy comes out because it's in depths. Through a cancer scare, through maybe or maybe not having kids, through friends committing suicide, through kids, um, little kids committing suicide, hanging themselves. How do you maintain this joy? Not be positive. You all. I'm talking about a joy that is in the depths of your being that doesn't have to be covered up. You can be transparent. I might not be happy, but there's a joy that should come out. Joy is different than happiness. And the church needs joy. So suddenly these words were no longer just words of, of the law showing these people in this day um, why they had come into bondage. These were words now of hope. They were words of hope now being declared to them. Not saying, here's, I'm, aren't you tired of people that just bring up the obvious problems all the time? And I was guilty of that. I'm laying out statistic after statistic, and man, I, if we don't do this in so many years, it's not going to happen, and we're doomed. But... I really, really hope that the transition that God that has made in the depths of my heart can produce. Now what? Forget all that. We know there's problems. We know there's sin. We know there's piece of, of discouraging news one day and even second after another. We already know this. So stop it and say, let's start offering Hope to people, hope to the church, hope to the people outside. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Don't be sorry anymore. Stop sulking. 
Because the joy of the Lord, His joy is now your strength. It's now your strength now. He said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. It's okay, celebrate what God has done for you. And by the way, tell other people. Send some portions to those that who have nothing prepared, it says. Go tell other people what God has done for you. You know, you can, you can sell peace in a bottle, but joy. Can you imagine the profit you'd make on joy? And only there's only one origin, one creator, one source of joy. Jesus Christ. That's it. So Nehemiah 8, 10, or 8, 11, and 12, the two verses after that says, So the Levites uh, stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions to share the joy and, and to make uh, great mirth, great celebration, that means, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Be, don't you love it when you get it like, ah, oh, I understand that now. I mean, it's less burdensome when you understand a scripture like the Lord's joy can now be your strength. Well, I'm glad because I have no joy. So I need his joy to fill me up. We, we need to understand this so we can stop walking around either A, faking joy, or B, having none as Christians. So that that's, should be hopefully the cry of our heart that we as a church, as New Hope, can understand this and, and, and truly celebrate as these people did when they got it, when they understood. So Jesus also, and we've heard this probably a lot, and I, there's so many different ways that you can t- teach this parable, but just probably another obvious way, Luke 15, Jesus told a parable that spoke of another celebration. We all know the story in the parable of the prodigal son. A man had two sons. The day the younger son demanded his inheritance, he took it, he left home, because he might have felt maybe his father's house was too restrictive, too narrow, too narrow-minded, a, a type of person today who kind of makes the conclusion in our own heart a lot of kids and even wayward adults that do this that kind of maybe says there must be more to life than this more than going to church more than reading the word of God living within the borders of the word of God which we know there are boundaries that's the guardrails that are um, that are they keep us safe they're not strict rules but God should change everything and I I want to make sure that I love your law oh God I want to love it but I know that this is to keep me safe but we get this, there's got to be more, and we want to step outside, and we want to see. And, um, and you might say, well, I was definitely born for more than this, so you, we start um, kind of adventuring out. But the Bible tells us, obviously, that his younger son took his inheritance, spent it on riotous living, which means self-consumption, which we're very good at. Um, and uh, he took uh, this life that was given and spent on himself, living however he pleased. Until, the Bible says, until a mighty famine came into the land. Now, obviously, this was a spiritual famine, too, with that son trying to find meaning. It was a spiritual famine. It was, he was absolutely bankrupt. Like, I shouldn't have done this, but if I go back, he's not even going to hire me as a servant. He's talking about his dad, his father. And in Luke 15, 17, and 18, basically just says he comes to his senses. How many hired servants, he says, of my fathers have been bread enough to spare, and I perished with hunger, and I was his son. I had a position. He had trust in me. All these different things. And um, he says, I will arise and go to my father. And remember that shirt we have from the restoration this past year? I think it's Luke uh, 15, 20 that says, so he got up. We need to do that. We need to get up. Come to our senses. Just get up. Whether it's figuratively, metaphorically, literally, whatever. Get up. 
start to get up. And uh, Luke 15, 20, uh, a little bit more that says, I'm a sinner, because he starts to rehearse this, remember? He first rehearses it to himself. And then he goes home and he makes his presentation. And remember, his dad doesn't even acknowledge what he says because he's so overwhelmed with love for his son. Which should also produce an unbelievable joy inside of us. Yes, it's a joy that we don't deserve because we don't deserve his love. But because he loved me first, I can love him back. And it's okay. If The longer we feel um, unworthy and, and depressed and condemned and accused and the longer it's going to take for your calling to be fulfilled on this earth. Some of you are waiting, waiting for that moment that's right. It's now. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 never changes. Today is the day of salvation, of redemption, of restoration. Today is the day. It's a good day. So it says, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy. Just make me like one of your hired servants. He's rehearsing this. And he arose and came back to his father. But when he was yet a great Far off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran on his neck and fell on him and kissed him. So you remember that not only his son made a mess of his life and, and wasted his entire inheritance, um, he, he, he's coming back with the stench of the world, the stench of sin, the stench of pig feces and food and pigs themselves. He's coming back stinking, and it's God's joy to fix all of that. And that's what should produce a joy that we are unworthy of, that we're just so overwhelmed with, wow. It, it should produce a joy inside of us. That we can move on with that and tell others, I was like that, but it doesn't matter. You can go to him. You can. He even came to me, ran to me. I'm telling you, it's true. So, but when he was yet a great far off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck and kissed him. He had, uh, obviously when he came back, was probably just incredibly shocked and it must have been uh, to just crazy to have his father come running. That means the father saw him before he saw his father. Because the father's looking for you, waiting for you. So the father notices him probably daily, waiting for his son to come home. And he notices him before his son notices. And all of a sudden he sees this old feeble, crippled, maybe man that's 70, 60, 50, 80, I don't know, older. Running towards him as fast as his little legs could carry him. Making a beeline right for his son. That's the church. That's the lost. That's me. And he's running towards me. And I'm like, why would he be running towards me? And I've said this before, but I could see his, 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 his facial expression coming from the distance. And, and I'm like, I can't make out the, the facial expression of my father, but he's got to be upset. He's got to be mad. He's got to be coming back to tell me to just leave. You blew it. You have no place here. And as his face starts to get closer and closer, he starts to make it out. And it's this big smile with tears, and he's like falling over himself trying to come to his son. And how shocked his son must have been. How, how much joy does your, you are his joy. But we don't naturally possess this joy. But his joy can be our strength. Man. But the, the sad thing is, is that many people, especially in the church, don't have this picture of, of God. People, we make a mess of our lives all the time. We too squander our inheritance from God and the calling that He's placed on our lives. And 
a lot of times we just picture God sitting on a throne, folding his arms, maybe tapping his foot and just saying it's about time or whatever it is, his chastisement, all kinds of judgment. And that's how we picture God. But until the day he returns, his mercy endures forever. You better thank Jesus for that. His mercy endures forever. And, and, you know, maybe God's saying, didn't I warn you, parents? I told you. But where, you know, how merciful have you been to wayward sons and daughters or nieces and nephews or kids that have ran away from God? How much better are we than them if we are just judging and condemning and not reenacting this whole scene of a father that we're supposed to be like running towards these youth, these students, our kids, our sons, our daughters. Who are we to act any different than that? And that is a supernatural act of God to work on the inside of us to produce a joy. The same joy he has of redemption and freedom and restoration and deliverance can only come from God. So, you know, you might tell them, well, look at the mess that you made with your life and, and the, the, the embarrassment and, and the reproach that you've brought your family. And you know, you're, you're, you're lucky or fortunate that I would even make you a, a slave in my house or just all these words that we, we want to say. In another way, probably. And that's not the heart of God. So I said, I, I heard this before. Religion without the heart, without the heart of God is just a, a place for, to feel judged and condemned, right? And God's heart is mercy. It is mercy. So when, when, when a, a prodigal, a wayward son or daughter, or niece or nephew, or youth, or us, comes back, we have, to, we have to start picturing God differently. We could spend a lot of time away from God and never, it could turn into a complete falling away and never come back because all we do is wrestle with condemnation from the enemy. And that's enough. That's it. God doesn't want to, to use us anymore and it's over. That's it. And we lose a lot of people that way. And this is not the heart of God, nor should it be the heart of the church that God runs. So there should always be two arms reaching out. There should always be someone running towards these people, towards us, saying, then you finally come home. And I believe in New Hope Church, I, you know, there's people that have, for whatever reason, have left and scattered. and um, Our flock has scattered and gone places. And I, they might come back. How will we be? And sometimes it's, it's hard to do this, but sometimes you pray for situations in people's lives that, and I, I've been through all of this, but you pray for people in their lives to, for, for I'm just going to say it, for hardship, for tragedy. Maybe not, I mean, that tragedy sounds like a harsh word, but you pray for affliction. You pray for maybe sick. You pray for what it takes for God to produce a softness in people and a mercy in people because pretty soon you're going to be dealing with a situation where 
God's going to require. What's he say? I think it's Micah 6, 8. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. There's all these different things in the word of God. that t- Be merciful to people. But this, this joy is only um, given by God. And, and uh, the son begins to say in Luke 15, 22, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And the father's reply was, he, he didn't acknowledge anything that the son was saying. We see this over and over again. He doesn't, he doesn't respond to that. So no matter what we say, oh, God, I failed again. He's, he, his response is, he's clapping his hands. He's bringing forth the best robe. He's, putting, he's getting the ring out, which symbolizes royalty. It symbolizes authority. It symbolizes position. Everything that I had for you from the beginning is still the same. It's all here. Just come home. Get up and come home. Come home. And, and you start to understand God's heart and God's joy of restoring and redeeming his people. And he wants to, to put that joy in us so it can be our strength. So obviously the son was probably really shocked. He didn't even address it. And he, you know, his father bought, brought out the best robe and um, he probably just was probably quiet at that point as his father was clothing him with a, a robe that, that, that had a representation of a new life of covering sin and how much joy it gives our father in heaven to cover our sin with a new robe of righteousness. And he found himself wearing a robe, and, and these robes were reserved for royalty, a robe that covered the smell of the hogs and everything that he had done. And he walked into his father's house of, as if he had never sinned against God, as if he had never left. Everything was covered. This is, a, this is, this is God's joy. It's his delight to do this for his children. So in the same way we've been given a righteousness in the sight of God, it's not our own. It's freely given to those who know that they need a Savior. And sometimes we think that it would be enough for, for God to just cover all of our sins and all of our weaknesses and all of these imperfections and frailties and failures. And, but in the parable, the, the, the father actually gives a, another command. It's a, he says, put a ring on his hand. So he starts stepping it up. I'm covering his sin, but it doesn't end there. Put a ring on his hand. Now. He, hand. He, he gets more joy by doing more for his children. Cover his sin, yes, that gives me great joy. But now put a ring on his finger. Indicating his, his, his uh, position that has been retained. And his royalty and his, his robe of righteousness. The father was giving his son all the power. And just like God has given us the power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy. He's given us power to stand against every voice that constantly is trying to bombard our minds in condemnation. He's given us power to come against those things. And, and to declare that we have a righteousness that is, that is anything that I can earn or merit. People speak in, in uh, uh, power to speak in dark places, power to become what we can never be. And, and, and then he says, put shoes on his feet. So it doesn't end with the ring. No, we're all on a journey and, and put shoes on his feet. That indi- indicates maybe your new path starts now. It starts now. And you don't have to worry about anything you've done in the past. Your feet are beaten down by all of your past and all of your failures and all of your 
calluses and openings and cuts and your feet are a mess. Here's some new shoes. Your new journey starts now. You're restored. You're forgiven. That is my joy to do that, God says. So he was basically just saying, you're not going any farther in your own strength because you don't have any strength. My joy now will be your strength. And it's something that, that, that really can't be understood by those who stand almost in a disdain or in, towards others or in a pride or in their own strength. Because that just sets up failure. It just sets up disappointment. It sets up be, being disappointed and let down all the time. Just thinking I can stand and say this in my own strength. And... So, with now shoes on his feet and a ring on his hand and a robe on his back, he was brought inside and basically um, instructed the servants to throw him a party. And that's God's joy. That's God's joy to do that for us. Luke 15, 25 says, break out the instruments, kill the fatted calf, and let's have a feast. And they celebrated along with music and dancing. When you, you ever thought about God dancing over you? Remember that song that, um, what, you dance over me. Yeah, so... And I am unaware or something. And um, did we change those lyrics? I thought we changed it. To not, it wasn't dance, was it? You sing over. It was, I thought we, it was dance. Okay. So when you think about God dancing over you, uh, I don't know. It's kind, it was kind of weird to me. But now that I'm starting to realize how much joy he has over us. It's, it's pretty phenomenal to think about that. And you think he's mad at you and he's dancing over you. We're wrong. We're wrong. And we fight all these things and all the while he, he, wants, he wants to restore you and that's his joy to, to bring you back and to fulfill the calling that he's had for our lives. And, and if we submit and yield to that with, a, with an obedient, sincere heart, he starts to dance over us. To dance. Th that's what the word of God says. Is it Zephaniah 3 something? Um, I think it is. Check me out. Zephaniah 317. Is that it? Maybe. But so the people inside most likely were unaware of all that the son had done. They didn't really uh, care. They're, they're, they're rejoicing because he's home. And you can kind of look in, and maybe they're looking at the ring on his hand and they're Amazed at the position and the authority that's been retained and entrusted to him. And they see the shoes on his feet that, that really shows that he's been invited into the house now by his father. And he's been on this incredible journey that's gone wrong. And now he's become the, the, the blessing and, he, and now he's blessed. And that he's going back to the original plan that God has had for him. Imagine how unworthy he's feeling the whole time, but nonetheless and nevertheless, God is rejoicing over him with singing and with dancing. And, and the band starts to play. They bring out the, the medium rare steaks, <laughs> and, and all. And they start having a, a, a party for this guy that's coming home, the son. And, uh, and it's not, you, you can imagine how excited you'd be. Your, your, your countenance would start to change like, He's, he's excited for me, and you would start to get excited, but it's, not, but it's not your joy that's doing that. It's his joy that is now your strength, and you can say, by his joy in me, it's my strength that that's God can sustain it all. And 
the joy of the Lord and it becomes his strength. Um, so I do think that it's Zephaniah 3.17 and um, that I, I'm pretty sure that it says he, he rejoices over us with dancing. Is, is that right? Singing. And I know some other versions say dancing and it's in the, uh, in a, some other versions like that. Um, but uh, so no matter how our day is gone, our week is gone and, you know, it's kind of hard to embrace this truth. Um, about God's joy. And I always, I always thought when I was younger, and even sometimes the enemy will convince me that i got to produce all this fake joy. And God doing this work so deep, I, you're starting to realize, wow, it, this, this has nothing to do with me except for the fact that God loves me so much that he's willing to give me what he has. And that it's all him. And that Christianity is all Him. And it's all His mercy. That's Christianity. It should lighten the load. See, He's dancing over us along with holy angels in heaven. We know it says that in this, this chapter. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of us. He hasn't rejected us. So even if we maybe walk away in some capacity from God, and we feel that we have failed and made a mess of our lives or a calling that he's entrusted to us. I'm just asking you to today, come home. Come home to the Father. It's his joy to restore you. And then that joy of his can become ours and it becomes our strength, especially in our weakness, which is pretty much around the clock, right? It is. We have no strength. Strength. Okay? So I'm inviting you to just simply come home tonight and ask God, God, you have all this joy, and I can't believe your joy is, is, is helping me and saving me and redeeming me and, and delivering me. That's your joy? And I, I want that joy that you have for me inside of me so that I can tell others like Nehemiah 8.10 says, go out and give some of the portion of the joy that you now have that's all his to others and tell them what God has done for you. And it should encourage them because you can say, it had nothing to do with me. I didn't have to do this. I didn't have to repeat that. I didn't have to do anything. It's a gift. He just gave it to me because I asked. So we finally realize how passionately God loves us. And, and we understand that it's not our joy, and I, I've been coming to this realization for a while now. And, and I, I, I re, I've realized that either A, we don't have joy, or B, we don't depend on His joy in us to get through trials. Because when we're going through trials, you can see it all over people, right? It's a roller coaster. We're up and down with emotions and with, I'm not sure if I can trust God with this. And you can see it all over us. That's, that's happiness that fluctuates. Things are going well, we're happy. Things aren't, we're skeptical of, of, of what God's plan is and what's going on and how, how does this fit in to what I had pictured. And he's telling you all along that his ways and his thoughts are higher and better. You don't even believe that. You can come up with some pretty cool things. I think my life should be this. And when he says, you know, because sometimes you think like, well, it, my plan is to speak in front of a hundred people. And then you think, well, God's plan is higher and better. <laughs> he probably is going to make it a thousand. 
That's 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 our weakness. That's our frailty. That's the way we think. Like we think it's all earthly things. And all the while, it could be to do one-on-one ministry with disabled kids. Hallelujah. And that is higher and better. <laughs> Man, we, we need to know God's heart. I want my heart to look like His. I want it to be bursting forth with joy. Waters exploding out of, of joy that is, that is contagious through hardship that's when people will notice it's easy for what's well no wonder you're happy you're everything's great you have jobs your bills are paid you're eating food you have you can go out to eat you have you're married you know you have kids no wonder you're happy but when tragedy strikes and that joy remains then they're going to be like what in the world is inside of this person because they certainly have something that I don't. And that's when they say, give a portion of that to them. Right? So the father said um, in Luke 15, 29, uh, well, the son says, the other son, the older brother in the parable obviously never stood this joy and was living in, in this joyless uh, religion and celebrating his brother's homecoming. Uh, rather than celebrating his brother's homecoming, he said to his father in Luke 15, 29, you, you never gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends after. So I fa- and I uh, faithfully served you for all of these years. And I did all these. He doesn't understand this. And he's been trying to merit and work his way to his father's approval his whole life. And he's jealous of the celebration that's happening over his brother. Which if he understood the love of the father and that you didn't have to earn the father's love, he would be celebrating too. And, and he, the father said to this other son, son, everything I, 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 that I've had has always been yours. But he, he didn't get that. He was not talking about the, the palace and all these things on the farm. And he was referring to his heart and all these things that the father has. And God's saying to, to us tonight, everything that I have, even this joy that I have, has always been yours. It's always been yours and, and I've longed to give it to you and to give you an understanding of what my work on this earth and on the cross is and you know that that God's work and we know that he's in the business of restoring and saving lives and saving souls and bringing life to death and there's no greater joy in the heart of God than than one over than over one sinner who repents we know that and that's like a father son or daughter relationship if you're a parent you know that I think it's third John four that says I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth there's a joy of having your kids understand this. And um, so scripture is saying that even the angels in heaven are rejoicing and, and they know what is in the heart of God and they are simply entering into His joy, not their own joy. So if you desire the Lord Jesus' heart tonight, because you know that it's full of joy for you and fixing us, and that we can say, Man, God is good, and, and he wants me to take a portion of this to the people who don't have, who don't understand this. So if you want that, if you want the Father's heart tonight to kind of share in the work uh, that the Lord has done and the, that the, earth, the, the Lord desires to do on the earth, and the Lord will tell you and show you how to be a partaker and how to be um, uh, someone that you can uh, align your joy with. He'll show you that. 
and you'll be able to keep the joy of the Lord. How do I get it? How do I keep it? It's a question. Retaining joy. How do I keep the joy? And, and keeping the joy by being an ambassador of Jesus, especially in this generation now, where it's so obviously going to stick out because your joy has been sustained by the king who gives it. And refusing to regard the, the salvation of even one soul as somehow insignificant. Well, we may actually rejoice when someone gives their heart to God. And when there's a testimony of somebody getting saved or you led someone to the Lord. You know, I always think, like, when is the last time? You know, it's easy for me. I'm in youth ministry. I, I have an opportunity. But I also have an opportunity every day to minister to those that I work with. And that's not easy. Especially being cuffed in the setting that I am spiritually, right? That's not easy. It's not easy. I mean, think back to the last time you won someone for the Lord. Think back to the last time you led someone in a prayer. Think back to the last time that you were able to speak of this unspeakable joy that, that God has, that He's given you to share with someone. And they, maybe they didn't cry, but maybe they wept. Maybe they came to the realization and you prayed with them and they became born again. And then we, we, we mentor and we, we disciple. Maybe it's because we don't have a lot of joy about this. Maybe it's because we don't understand that we don't have to fake our own joy. But we can depend on his joy in us and that is our strength to go out and tell the masses like in the parable of the wedding where he says, go out and invite them. Go and, that's all you got to do, invite them. Tell them about me and what I've done. That it's all available to them. And, it's, and I'll have more joy restoring those people as well. And that joy that I have for them and for you is deposited in you, which gives you the strength to do all of this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Go ahead and, and take some of the lights down and um, just kind of fade them down. You can put that video up. But before you put the video up, um, if, you, if you are disappointed in yourself for not having the joy that you should as a Christian, and you're not asked about it very often or whatever the case may be, don't play the song yet because sometimes videos distract people and they watch it and try to sing along. The altar calls first, then we'll put the music on. So if you want the joy of the Lord back, if you want more joy and you know that it's His joy, you can have confidence in coming down. Saying that today's altar call, tonight's altar call, is a, is a generous distribution by the King of Kings with His joy. For you, to you, through you, it's available right here through His mercy and His grace. Amen? So if that is you and you want joy, you want more joy, come up right now. Come to the altar, and let's just spend a couple of minutes with God and say, God, I want my heart to look like your heart. So just come up to the altar. I want to be a testimony. I want to be a witness. And I'm just going to, as you do that, I'm going to read some scriptures. And when I'm done with these scriptures, go ahead and play that song. So as I'm reading, just make your way to the altar. Psalm 511 says, but let all of those that take refuge in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Psalm 1611. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Amen. In thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. 
Psalms 35, for his anger is but for a moment, but his favor and joy are for a lifetime. Weeping may uh, tarry for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalms 32, 11, be glad in Jehovah and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all that ye are upright in heart. Psalm 51, 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Psalm 65, 12, they drop upon the pastures of the wilderness and the hills are girded with joy. Those hills that Pastor was looking or talking about this morning that we look to for our help, those hills that we look to for help are girded with joy. You're going for help. You're going to get joy in the midst of what might not be a joyful situation. Psalms 126, 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Amen? Hallelujah. Nehemiah 8.10, we read, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, Proverbs 15.23, a man hath joy in the answer of his mouth. A word in due season, how good it is. It can change the life of somebody that you're talking to. Proverbs 17.21, he that uh, begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy. We want to be wise. We want God to have a joy in how his children are conducting themselves and how they're behaving just like an earthly father with their own child. Habakkuk 3.18 says, Yet I will rejoice in Jehovah. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Again, Zephaniah 3.17. He is mighty in the midst of us. He rejoices over us with joy. We, he will rest in his love for us. He will joy over us with singing and with dancing. Matthew 13.44. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field which a man that found. If you are finding this treasure tonight, we would with joy sell all that we have and buy that field. Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things, and I will set thee over many things. Enter in thou into the joy of the Lord, into heaven. Enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. Matthew 28, 8 says, and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, but with joy. But with joy, what God has done, there was a fear, but there was a joy that was so deeply sown into their hearts. And they ran to bring a portion of this, this word to the disciples. They were so excited in fear, but also in joy that takes root. Luke 10, 17, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. They're, they're recognizing that they're not subject to us in our own name and our own fake joy. Uh, we're returning to you with joy, saying that it is you in us that is causing these demons to be subjected to us. Even so, I say unto you, Luke 15, 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. John 16, 22, just a couple of more, and ye therefore now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no one taketh from you. John 16, 24, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive that your joy may, may, uh, may be made full. John 17, 13, but now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Romans says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my glory on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I overflow with joy in all of our affliction. That is only supernaturally by the grace of God. 
And the Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Hebrews looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame that is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, whom not having seen with love, First Peter 8, on whom thou, now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice greatly with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The last scripture. Uh, uh, two more. Jude one twenty four. Now unto him that is able to guard you from stumbling or keep you from falling and to set you before the presence of his glory without blemish in exceeding joy. The last scripture. You can go ahead and start playing that song. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, make our heart look like your heart.